Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an impact exposure series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts, Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. This summer, our theme is focusing on the relationship between graduate student mentors and their undergraduate student mentees. Mentoring is an important part of research and helps students develop into the scientists of today. Today, we're here with Hui Young and Natalie. Hui Young, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm a PhD student in environmental and civil and environmental engineering. What about you, Natalie? Um, I'm a sophomore um, majoring in psychology and minoring in global public health and epidemiology. So those are two pretty different degree areas. How, what brought you two together to form this mentor-mentee pair? Uh, so I met with uh, Natalie through the One Health Student Challenge hosted by the Canadian Studies Center. What is the One Health Student Challenge, Natalie? Um, so the One Health Student Challenge is just a an initiative that was brought about by the Canadian Studies Center through their um, connections with the University of Saskatchewan in Canada um, to like enable students to solve problems within a One Health framework. So it sounds like it's a pretty interdisciplinary organization. Yes. And then are there any projects that both of you worked on together? Yeah, so last year uh, we worked on the global water scarcity issues. We're basically looking at Cape Town, South Africa and Rajasthan, India, which at the time were facing severe um, water shortages and we're trying to brainstorm ideas on how to make that um, better in the long run. Why is there water scarcity in Cape Town and in India? The reason we brought up these two places is we want to do comparison study. Cape Town we consider is a developed area. And India, um, the, the place in India is a desert, and we consider it is an underdeveloped area. And the reason of the water scarcity is different too. As a men- graduate mentor, I guided the students to do literature re- re- reviews and analyze the causes. Uh, the main cause of this, uh, um, this problem in Cape Town was because of the political issues. They had some... Uh, pretty a uh, big uh, political breakdown, and uh, uh, because of the government, the water resources was not distributed properly. But in India, uh, the place we studied was called Rajasthan, and it's in a desert in northwest. And it was because of the annual uh, precipitation was low. And uh, people in the area doesn't have uh, access to a lot of water uh, water resources in nature, and in addition to that, uh, people there are not very well educated. So the way they use their water resource was not very uh, wise. Uh, in agriculture, they waste a lot of uh, uh, water in the traditional water irrigation way. So that's really interesting because uh, I was always familiar with the fact that the Indian subcontinent experiences these annual monsoons, and but you're looking at a particular geographical area where uh, they directly rely on the monsoons, and but then when you look at South Africa, that's a totally different environment but they're still facing the same types of problems. So that's really interesting to 
connect those two scenarios together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, basically, that is why the One Health framework was brought, um, because we weren't told which geographical areas to use. But thinking in a One Health way, you're thinking global, and you're thinking how developed areas can help underdeveloped areas solve the same problems. And kind of comparing the difference in which way they handle it and how we can both learn from each other. And because we do um, experience the same problems just in different geographic locations. You had talked a little bit about how you chose these two cities. What was the basis for choosing these cities besides what we already talked about? How did you know to compare these two cities relative to any other cities in the world? I, uh, well, I, I was the mentor, so I'm not the one uh, physically choosing the place. But uh, I remember when we were working on a project, Cape Town was on the news all the time, and uh, their water issues was brought up on the internet. So that's why we chose the Cape Town. Um, yeah, and then for Rajasthan, India, we just, we looked at the statistics and we looked at like about 85% to 90% of the um, village workers, um, the farmers, were not getting enough like water irrigation going their way, whereas that like the large-scale subsistence, like the large-scale farmers were getting water. And that was more political imbalance. So we kind of singled out Rajasthan just because of that big um, comparison in the gap of like kind of bringing how social science and like policy affects um, health, like environmental health and like human health. That's really interesting. You mentioned the social science and the political views of this. Did you guys feel like you focused more on the science part of it or the political part of it? Like, did you do experiments or did you look more at like literature searches mainly? We mainly looked at um, their literature reviews. That's what we heavily based on just because the semester was quite large and we kind of had to do this within or within six weeks. Um, So we did literature reviews and we kind of brainstormed ideas in a way that would be like um, in a way that would be done by like a policy researcher, maybe. Yeah, so no experiments were done. And what ideas did you guys come up with? So uh, for Cape Town, I because this was done uh, more than one year ago, we need some time to reflect. Uh, I think I think for Cape Town, we we were uh, proposing to see whether they can uh, he can be settled down because the government at that time was not very stable. And we we were pretty much just hoping after the government was uh, uh, settled down, the the policy will be more stable and they they can fulfill the policy in a better way. And also, corruption is uh, is one of the uh, reason that caused the problem because water is a resource, um, and how they distribute this resource is a matter of uh, you know. Um, power to uh, versus uh, democracy, something like that. Um, and for Rajasthan, we were uh, we were thinking to promote uh, a better agriculture ir- irrigation technology to those area. Um, and uh, and uh, we uh, we we also looked at the education of uh, women in the area. And we believe if we uh, provide a better education resources to uh, 
uh, those people, especially women, they can they can educate their kids in a better way to have access of um, uh, um, safer drinking water and and uh, safer water practice. Um, we also looked at um, ensuring that all hospitals and clinics and any other health sectors like have um, the because there were restrictions on the water when this crisis was happening that they have adequate restrictions just because human health will be um, affected by this water shortage. For so, for example, in hospitals, to make sure that the water restrictions are reasonable, you know, so that um, we don't have now people catching like new bacteria and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and we also looked at revisiting non-implemented solutions because Cape Town knew about this all the way back in 2013, um, but the government didn't do anything about it. Solutions were brought up, but no one did anything about it. So looking at that and kind of having like a firm fist on the policy, implementing the policies. Um, also dispatching public health specialists and physicians, just because when the water shortages were happening, they were all thinking about like, the politics side of it, but no one was thinking about the human health and the educative part that would like ensure that health is still great despite the shortage, giving the government more time to like figure out a solution long term. You mentioned bacteria, and that had me thinking about something even before you mentioned it was how are the actual health impacted by all of this? You guys are one health and seems like you were looking a lot of like what's been going on, but how did you see how these people were affected later down the line? Like were there developmental issues or were there certain bacteria that were causing people to well, unfortunately die or be really sick? So um, when we when we talk about uh, global water scarcity issues, it's not only about water resources. It's also about water safety. Even though we have... Uh, in a place we have plenty of water, there might be uh, little pathogens that can cause people to death. death. Um, so, uh, so in a setting like uh, Cape Town, um, South, South Africa, uh, when the water is uh, in short, uh, in, a, in certain settings such as the hospital, uh, the pathogens will be, would 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 be likely to be out of control, and at uh, in this setting we have to uh, really keep an eye on the pathogen levels and make sure that the sanitation is under control, and people have a safe uh, instrument, for example, operation and and in the in the care room. Usually in the hospital we have a higher. Uh, density of a population and it's easier for uh, pathogens to uh, to spread out. So w- our point is um, when things happen uh, in an unstable political situation, we have to pay act- uh, ultra attention to places like hospital and uh, schools to prevent disease outbreaks. Yeah, um, also about that, um you asked how we knew that the health was affected. Um, when we're doing our research, we found out that some people were advised to flush their toilets like once a day or preferably once in three days just to save on water. And we saw that that was bringing a lot of poor health sanitation in terms of like reproductive health or like um, 
just personal sanitation and you know like a lot of the children back in Africa they die from diseases like diarrhea and cholera and for diarrhea to occur like the bacteria comes from poor um personal sanitation so so that's a really comprehensive study that you must have performed then has there been any actions performed based on the recommendations you've made in your study since it's been published? Well, uh, this is not published yet. We are, this is, so this is a student challenge. Uh, We are working on a conceptual model, basically. And this is our opinion of uh, solving the issue. And we are hoping uh, to provide this learning opportunity to create or cultivate future leaders on one health uh, discipline. And uh, students like Natalie, I am very um, proud to see her grow. And I believe that in the future, she will make a difference. Thanks a lot for explaining what your project consisted of. Just in case we have any new listeners that might have tuned in, can both of you explain what One Health is? So One Health is a concept that human, animal, and the environment are connected. And we need to take care of the health of these three segments all together. Yeah, um, and... Kind of like the key players in One Health is almost everybody. So physicians, veterinary, um, medical doctors, um, policy makers, like the social scientists. We also have like environmental engineers. We're all just asking for all hands on deck to kind of like make the health in the world better. Natalie, I think it's really interesting that you're majoring in psychology in Huiyun, that you're getting your doctorate in environmental and civil engineering. It's really cool to see people from different departments work together. You guys had mentioned that this One Health Challenge was on water scarcity. Was that your particular project, or did everyone focus on different aspects of water scarcity for the year of 2017? 2018. 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was the theme of the year 2018, but everyone was at liberty to, f- to figure out how they're going to approach um, the challenge um, as long as they were within a One Health framework meaning as long as they had all hands on deck. We were students from all different majors. So um, we decided to specifically work with developed and undeveloped country. Um, But other people, some of them stayed in the United States, so they compared different states. Other people compared different countries. So it was really up to um, whatever, whatever the group wanted. Yeah. And we had different themes over the years. This is the second time MSU run the One Health Student Challenge. And in 2017, where we did the first time, we studied antimicrobial resistance issues. When did One Health start? So One Health, the concept was first originated from the veterinary medicine side uh, around the 1970s. And this concept is more and more brought up because of the problems we are facing nowadays is more complicated and we need collaboration in the disciplines. 
I remember you had said something about how they were building leaders. How do you feel like they helped you guys develop? Did they provide professional development experiences or workshops for you guys? I think for me, I was I first heard about the、uh, opportunity from、uh, my department's mail list,、um, and I wanted to participate in the challenge, but I, I was、um, I'm 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 a graduate student, so the director of the Canadian St- Study Center offered me,、uh, would you like to be a mentor instead of the team a team player? And I accepted the invitation, and I I guided my team. So I think、uh, in this、uh, mentoring process, it provided me、uh, a role such as a teaching assistant, but not only、uh, teaching them how to、um, deal with a project, but also build up and unite the team together. And this is and beyond this, I get to know many faculty. Across the border, U.S. and Canadian,、um, and we were invited to the One Health Leadership Experience, and we further attended the One Health World Congress. So these are professional, I would say, workshop and conference, and、uh, real experience with students across the borders. I didn't really realize that One Health was an international organization. I thought this was an MSU-based organization. Yeah, that's really yeah. It's International One Health Student Challenge. Yeah. Well, that's、yeah. even more important because then、mm-hmm. it allows you to really grasp that idea of being a united world. Mm-hmm. So there's more people other than University of Saskatchewan. Was that what you said? Um. So originally we were supposed to be three. Um. We ha- we were supposed to have. Carleton University from、um, all the capital of the Canada, Ottawa. Ottawa, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but、um, we eventually ended up just being MSU and University of Saskatchewan students. But within every group, you had a few MSU students and a few from there, which kind of like emphasized collaboration. Also, how large are these teams that work together to tackle these different challenges? So in two thousand eighteen, we had forty、um, students, forty forty three students signed up, and、uh, we had、uh, about twenty students stayed with the team a whole time from both side of the country. Were you in charge of all twenty students, or only Natalie?、N- no, so I am. I am in a team、uh, where we have four students, and we had four teams. So about four to five students in a team. So we had different like PhD students mentor the different teams, and we had mentors both from the MSU side and from the other side, which I think was very great because、um, Huayun got to mentor me,、um, another student Tatiana majoring in、um, human biology here, and then two other students from Canada. So we made like a lifelong connection with them. Natalie, can you tell me a little bit about? How that mentoring experience was of having a graduate student help out with this One Health team.、Um, so that's a good question because at first I was like, "How are we gonna, how are we gonna do this?" Like, I am just an undergrad student. I don't know much about research, but、um, Huayin was very great in that、um, she kind of prepped us in terms of how it's meant to be done, like literature reviews. How to know which ones are the right ones, cita- the 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 cited ones, the ones that we shouldn't just go by,、um, and also just 
guiding us through the process of communicating what we find and communicating our ideas, not to sound too opinionated, but more on based on statistics. Um, so I think it really helped me leap from my experience as an undergrad to kind of see what I'd be doing in graduate school and in the world at large, just being mentored by her. Do you feel like this experience made you want to go to graduate school or did you feel like you already knew that beforehand? Um, I actually did not want to go to graduate school and this experience just showed me how profound and how important the work that graduate students um, do is and like how important it is to the real world and how important it is as well in prepping you in kind of molding you as a future leader because I am intending to be a future leader. Um, so it kind of made me want to go to grad school. Now to get the other side of that, Wayun, what was your experience mentoring undergraduate students and what did you like most about it? I feel I can learn a lot from uh, from students. Uh, for example, when we, uh, when we come up with the final presentation, we need to write a report and present the, what, the findings. And one of our team players uh, suggested a website. So instead of preparing a PowerPoint, we presented our um, result on the website, and this made the people odd. Like, like um, it's so fancy. We can just enter a, a link, and then everything was listed, and with the beautiful pictures and, and everything. So it gave gave our judges a, a very good first impression. And by the way, we won the first prize. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I I think I can learn a lot and. Uh, for the first time in 2017, when we studied antimicrobial resistance, we presented our findings through a video, and that is also uh, um, a novel site. That friend that suggested the website to you, did they help with the website, or did you guys just learn how to make a website from scratch? Um, so that was one of the students from Canada, from University of Saskatchewan, and she we 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 made it ourselves we kind of learned it on our on our own which kind of is so cool because in a digital world like this um it's very important especially for public health specialists or agents to be able to communicate to as many people as possible so we kind of had to learn weeks.com um how to make the website and it turned out great yeah there is a template it's a it's like um, when you have your own stuff commercial stuff you can you can enter the template and put your stuff for sale um you can pay for a certain fee to maintain the website but we just used the trials so we didn't actually have to pay but it was nice to present it in the presentation so we talked a little bit about skills that were developed during this one health challenge Natalie, are there any other skills that you learned throughout this process that are going to help you with your research in the future, possibly? Yeah, for sure. Um, for example, the one skill that was solidified was collaboration because I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be able to handle a project mid-semester with people that were far away who had busy schedules. Both of them were seniors. Um, and with a PhD student who also had a lot of things to do, um, so the collaborative skills were like kind of taken to the next level because I realized you can do anything with anyone. Um, 
And then also like my professional networking skills. Because like when you mentioned the first people, the first prize, we won the first prize. So we're able to go to the One Health, One Health World Congress in Canada where we had um, scientists from all around the world, scientists from CDC, scientists from the, um, the World Health Organization, and being able to present myself in a scientific capacity, mm-hmm. you know, not just, you know, relying on my <laughs> charisma or anything, but like actual solid information. Um, that has transformed my entire um, life and the way I present myself to even professors asking to like do research with them. What does the future of One Health look like from this point forward? It, it really depends on the issue we want to solve. For example, my major is uh, uh, specialized in environmental microbiology and virology. Um, and I'm interested to study some some disease outbreaks such as influenza A and uh, uh, bird flu and swine flu, things like that, or tuberculosis. And... Uh, I think uh, this disease started from the animal side and it can cause a damage, a great damage, pandemic damage in human society. It's trans- transformed or translated through the environment, either through the air or through the water, through the fecal oral path of the pathogen transportation, you know. So I, uh, I think, uh, at least for me, I want, I just defended my dissertation in April, and I'm going to graduate in the summer. And I want to uh, get engaged with a real, uh, real, real case or real project. And my dream place is uh, CDC. I want to continue to work on the epidemiology side, but I want to utilize my uh, engineer skills that I learned from MSU to, to build up my career path. You had mentioned that you recently defended your dissertation, so congratulations on that. Can you tell us a little bit about what your dissertation research is on? Yeah, thank you. So one of the application is to use uh, uh, stream, stream water for pathogen screening. And uh, in my uh, dissertation, uh, sp- uh, specifically, we study animal pathogens. And from the metagenomic information we get from the community water, we can screen some pathogens for cows and um, and sheep. Yeah, this is one of uh, what we call the One Health research. It sounds like then that your research was directly applicable to the project that you worked on with One Health then. Yes, we consider it in the same thing. Did other people in your laboratory also participate in this event? Um, I'm on. I'm the only one in uh, in the One Health Student Challenge, but we we do have the uh, uh, other two PhD students working on their research project on the same uh, same scope. Thank you, Wei Yun, for giving us that little bit of insight about what your dissertation is going to be out, and congratulations once again on defending it. Natalie, you just recently won first prize with the One Health Project team. How has this influenced what you wanted to do for research in the future, and what are you interested in? So the One Health Challenge really made me appreciate the craft of research. I was so anti-research before that. Um, I just wanted to get a degree and 
kind of get a nine to five job. Um, but after going to the One Health Congress and meeting scientists around the world and sharing my findings and seeing how their findings actually impact the world, I just I feel like I want to do more and discover more on behalf of the world. And so I'm from a what's considered a third world country. I'm from Uganda and a lot of the medicines we get are from around the world. Um, and in this lab that I'm going to be working on in this in, in the fall, and we're going to see the impact of inauthentic medicine um, on countries like third world countries. So, for example, if I walk into a shop, I'm going to have on the shelf, there's going to be five different kinds of the same medicine. And I'm going to buy the cheapest, but the cheapest probably going to be fake. Thanks, Natalie. Being from Uganda, what experience have you seen uh, with the effects of what fake medicine can do to a population? Um, so I will speak for um, my family in particular, um, and starting with my mom. She was diagnosed with um, severe osteoporosis and nerve illnesses, but in terms of medicine, we kind of bought only one round from the hospital that seemed legit because it was working, but going forward, we weren't like rich enough to afford that, so we had to go to like the local pharmacies and trying to get the cheapest we can get of that medicine. And as soon as we started buying the other option, the cheaper option, she just got worse. And eventually when we went to like a bone specialist, he said that the medicine she was taking was not helpful, which was funny because it was the same exact medicine, but just from a different country. So what she was buying was from India because it was way cheaper and what she was taking in the in the first place was from Germany. So it really goes to show that there are problems out there in the world right now. And I could understand why now that you are motivated to get involved with this kind of research to not only help address the problem but hopefully fix the problem as well. Yeah, for sure. Um because I mean this is someone very close to me and I have seen the um effects of, you know, the the medicine that wasn't right and not only her my grandfather too was every time he had a headache we try to get the um panadol is what we call like painkillers back home but we got them from like a shop down the road which was certified to sell them somehow but it was not the panadol tablets that we used to it was more round and you know it just it messed up his eyes which is funny because this is a headache medicine. How does it mess up your eyes? But they did later find a connection between what he was swallowing and then his eye issues. So I think for all the families out there and just anyone, no one should have to do their best to get better and instead get worse. So I'm willing to do everything I can. I strongly believe that this research is important. The truth is really in the science and people really need to see that there are problems out there, even though they're not seeing it every day that they exist in other areas as well even though we're here in america there are other problems like you guys were talking about water problems we we had that problem right here in flint like with the one health program did you guys actually look at local areas like flint as well yeah some groups um so for example our group like i mentioned earlier focused on cape town and Rajasthan, but um one of the other groups focused on flint and i think california as their underdeveloped area or developing area and developed area 
and they did see some similarities. So, Thank you for sharing those personal accounts, Natalie. I think we can all agree that different issues like this shouldn't exist in the first place. And we're all thankful that One Health is here to help solve some of those issues at the very least and try to come up with different actions. Now, speaking of One Health, during your time, have there been any opportunities that have opened up to you because of being a part of this challenge? And tell us a little bit about that. Um. I think it was a really wonderful experience to be a graduate facilitator. I learned a lot of soft skills in the Office of Canadian Study Center. Um, it's, it's so important, but it's so easy to omit because usually as a student, graduate student in engineering, most of our home is in the research lab. And we usually forget how important these soft skills are. Are and um, I I think it motivated me a lot to be a leader in the field in the future. For me, as a freshman student on campus, it helped me develop a home in the Canadian Studies Center with Dr. Anne Marie, um, who works in the Health Institute Public Policy, and through um, our connection and through One Health program. Being able to attend the One Health World Congress um, also enabled me to meet um, a professor from Princeton that um, offered to um, work with me if I ever wanted to study um, health, health and health policy and how to make these policies work in my country, which I found profound because um, this is more like a widespread. She's empowering me to be able to actually bring the change that I once dreamt of in my country. So. Thanks for sharing that, Natalie. It's really cool that you got an opportunity from someone else, even outside of the university and when you were just a freshman. How are there ways that we can bring the awareness of One Health to the MSU community? Like, I myself have never really heard about One Health, and how can we help spread the word? So, um, there there is a one uh, global, global Health Institute. Uh, the, their office is in Fihal. And the Canadian Study Office has a One Health program. And if you want to know more about it, you can contact these two offices. And also beyond that, there's a One Health Student Club for undergraduate. And uh, uh, more recently, there's an opening for One Health Student Experience in Saskatoon. And uh, our... If you are interested, the audience are interested, you can contact the Canadian Study Center and uh, uh, we can find you a way to attend the conference or workshop. And last year when students went there, the travel and the lodging were covered by the institute. I cannot say for, for this year, but this, this is a, there, there is an opening uh, and it's in August. And as a... Um, uh, as a graduate staff in Canadian Studies Center, I w- I'm working on a proposal to get more funding to initiate to to launch another One Health Student uh, Challenge in 2020, and we hope to um, strengthen the collaboration across the borders and try to engage more university uh, in Michigan or beyond the U.S. 
um, to build up the One Health community. A community, yeah. You mentioned that in 2020, you are going to be helping organize the One Health program over here. But I recall that you said that you defended in April and you're leaving at the end of the summer. So how are you going to do that when you're probably going to be moving and you're hoping to be working with the CDC in Atlanta? And I remember that you also said that there's only about three other chapters of this at other universities. So how do you think that we can spread the word and get this to other campuses as well in other states and make it more known about One Health and show that this is really important? Well, I'm helping to write the proposal and even though I uh, I graduate and leave uh, campus, there's an office or a One Health program in Canadian Study Center. You can always contact uh, Emery Schneider, who is the director of the Canadian Study Center or the director of the Global Health Institute. And you can go to our uh, One Health MSU Facebook. You can find our contact information or contact these two directors directly. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there are... Oh, by the way, there's a, a One Health a Global Health Master Program. It's an online program. It's approved by the MSU... Um, the higher level uh, is is approved by MSU, and the student can get get their degree in uh, global health or public health from an online program. Yeah. Um, and for me, I met a the president of One Health from Iowa University, Neil Vezu, and we. You know, we, we, we just shot each other an email after that on, like, how we can collaborate going forward. Um, so I think it's just through, um, you know, LinkedIn and just reaching out to different student groups on different campuses. It can just be health groups and, you know, finding a way to work with them. Yeah. So unfortunately, Wei Yun will be leaving us soon. But Nali will be here for a couple more years at the very least. And what are your plans, Nali, then? for the One Health Challenge? Um, so I know that there's a One Health student club um, for undergraduates. I think the president's um, Olivia Porth. And I do minor in public health, so I have a class of um, people that I think would be very interested in this. So in the fall, I intend to um, work with Olivia Porth um, to, to, you know, to do flyers and like promotional events, have more people involved as we look forward to the 2021 Health Challenge and, you know, just growing that club and making it bigger, collaborating with ASMSU or um, Student Health Advisory Council or, you know, different clubs just so that we make the presence even heavier at MSU and leave a One Health legacy. Are you part of any other organizations at MSU? Yeah, um, I'm a part of the Student Health Advisory Council, um, which works with all in to... Um, advocate for student health and wellness and I am a part of the Mastercard well I'm a Mastercard Foundation scholar so a recipient of the Mastercard Foundation scholarship here at MSU um, and I am their representative and I also on I'm also on the, the sophomore council of SMSU so now junior council I guess congratulations thank you to wrap up are there any take-home messages that you would like our audience to 
know before tuning off? Like our Facebook page. Uh, it's called the Global Health Challenge. Yeah, um, for me, I just like to say that um, the issues of the world right now are very, very complex, and we need all hands on deck. So um, the One Health framework is not a panacea, but it's a start. And as long as we can get interdepartmental or intermajor um, collaboration, and just you know start thinking in a way of you know my physics brother or like my psychology sister is like literally a part of what I'm doing then I think we're gonna be great in terms of solving these problems going forward yeah we are all connected we want to break the silos the health problem need to be solved not only by physicians but by ordinary people like us everyone yeah that's really important because once we start to take responsibilities for ourselves and not rely on others, then real change will begin to happen, in my opinion. Thank you so much, Wayun and Natalie, for joining us today for this incredible interview. It's really great to hear from two students that are not in the same research laboratory, but still work together on projects that are really important to the world today. So thank you again. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. And remember, the truth is in the science. If you're a current or visiting undergraduate student that would like to be interviewed with your graduate student mentor, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. See you next week on The Sci-Files. <laughs> <laughs>